The following message was given by Mark Beckton on Sunday, August 6th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Take your Bibles. I want you to find uh, the book of Proverbs. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible and reach, find one in front of you. You'll find Proverbs usually in the middle. Sometimes you put your thumb dead center, it comes to Psalms. It's the very next book after Psalms. But I want you to find Psalm, and it's in chapters, chapter 22. We're going to read verse 6 together. And in reading it, you're, you're hearing that the lesson today from the Proverbs is lessons on parenting from Proverbs. So, let's look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of my delights in worshiping here at Redemption Hill, my family and I worship in the 830 service in a familiar spot. I love my spot in the far back corner. <laughs> because one of the delights in the worshiping together is the last two songs that we sing. Now we've had a time with scripture, we've had time in prayer, we've had time of confession, we've just had a time of communion. It's wonderful. And then the parents go get the children. And the children come in with the parents and it just fills the sanctuary. And from my back corner view, I can't help but smile and watch this. But as one of the pastors here, it also prompted me, Proverbs has a lot to say about parenting. So we'll be doing that today, but before we do, I need to, to speak to those right now who aren't in the throes of parenting, still part of the gathered body of Christ here at Redemption Hill. It's very easy to say, if you're like me, now a grandparent, I'm so grateful I don't have to do that anymore. That's not completely true. One of the beauties at looking at Scripture and what Scripture says about parenting is that when your children come to you and are asking a question or maybe for some direction, you don't want to speak just from experience. The richest insight you can give is what is true from Scripture. So we'll be looking at that today. Uh, some here are not married. Some are married and don't have children and think, man, where we talk about parenting, that really doesn't apply to me. It actually does, particularly when you realize you're in the household of faith. And Scripture intends for us as brothers and sisters in this household of faith to actually encourage one another. Not encourage one another with, well, I just hope, but actually with prayer. And prayer that is grounded with what is true. So you and I as a gathered body need to know what Scripture says about parenting because some within this body are parenting and we need to be able to pray for them rightly and even encourage them rightly grounded with Scripture. Now those are great reasons, but actually the, the premier reason for looking at this together and the premier reason why this uh, time looking at parenting in Proverbs benefits 
all of us, is actually found once you do a brief theology of marriage and family. And again, I am saying brief because that's not the entirety of the message. So let me, let me talk about this. Uh, beginning with uh, a theological term coined by Germans. Uh, they talk about scripture and call scripture the Heilgeschichte, which basically means the history of salvation. The beauty of scripture is it does contain history. It's history that it has is accurate, but it was never intended to be a history book. It was intended to be the history of God's activity and the reason for that activity and salvation. And in fact, that was explained in John's gospel. So stay in Proverbs, but if you go toward the New Testament, you'll find the fourth gospel in the New Testament is John. So find John chapter 20. In verses 30 through 31, Jesus Christ has already been crucified and resurrected. And then you have this announcement about what has been recorded about him in Scripture. It's a beautiful statement in verse 30 that starts. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that... You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not everything that happened in history from creation uh, to the time of Christ uh, was recorded or the time after Christ was recorded in Scripture. The things that were recorded were recorded so that we might know how to have life in Christ and what that life in Christ is like. You see that in verse 30? It's so that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, when you look at John chapter 20 and now go three chapters back to chapter 17, this history of salvation is unfolded and gives you a picture of what salvation is like in Christ. It's the night before his crucifixion. He is praying. And you find this in his opening of his prayer in verses 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. Praying, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Greek word used here for know at the core means to know through shared experiences where you might know the nature of God as intimately as he knows yours. That's his aim for you in salvation. And to get a, a beautiful picture of how that works in shared experiences and the, the grace it is from God that you and I would actually have that privilege with him is seen in a 50th wedding anniversary. If you attend one of those and talk to the couple, the funniest thing is they seem like a, a well-skilled comedic team. The, the, the timing in their conversation, they never let one finish the story. They always take over. They always know who has the best part of that story. And they're telling it together in perfect sync because they lived it. Furthermore, you'll even see their features and their mannerisms beginning to shape like each other. 
as they tell the story. That's the word for no that's used here, which is the grace of God given to us in our salvation that we might know Christ intimately because of the shared experiences God has given us with him on earth. But here's the hiccup as we get into a theme of parenting. If God purposes our experiences in life uh, to, to know Christ more, how is that possible in marriage and in parenting when Christ never married? How is that possible when Christ never had any biological children? It goes back to understanding what it means to know one another as a husband and wife intimately. Now, when you say that in, in a church circle, it's a polite way. We feel like it's a code for saying having sex as a husband and a wife. They knew each other. We see that in Scripture. And he knew who or they, they knew one another. But when you get into Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, after creating Adam and Eve, you get into an idea of how uh, intimate God intended for the relationship of a husband and a wife to be. And how he even intends for us to have that type of intimate relationship with him. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now again, one flesh sometimes is a euphemism we, we use for having sex. It's, I'm, I'm 61 year, years old now and it's still a little uncomfortable for me to say that. I grew up in a generation where my grandmother would even whisper the word, she's pregnant. <laughs> so, this is, this is a step of growth for me. <laughs> but when it says they have become one flesh, uh, the beauty of this is Christ will repeat exactly what God says in Genesis 2.24. He says it in Matthew 19.5, in Mark 10.7. And the Apostle Paul will repeat it again in Ephesians 5.31. Which means this is a theme throughout Scripture. That God's intention for a husband and wife that they become one flesh. Now this Hebrew concept of one flesh actually means they become one identity. It is a beautiful picture. We see that same sense of one identity in Christ's prayer when he prays about salvation, when he describes the beauty and impact of it in John chapter 17 and verses 20 through 21, where it talks about it's the same as being one with the Trinity. Here's what Christ prayed that night. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You have a beautiful picture there of the intimacy within the Trinity. There is a love affair and a, a closeness between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is an intimate oneness. And God's intention for the husband and wife is to have that same sense of shared identity. To know each other that intimately. And that is the way the Father describes our relationship with Him when He adopts us as His own children and becomes our Father. 
The aim is that we might know him as intimately as a couple who knows each other so well after 50 years of life together. It's a grand picture. So we see that in Ephesians chapter 5 when God says Christ is like a groom and the church who he loves is like his bride. That's the marriage picture and the intimacy of knowing each other. But then you go to chapter 6 and he extends it even to parenting. In chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 this is what is shared. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll get more into discipline and instruction here in just a moment. But for those God does not ordain to have children, you still know God the Father intimately in that parent-child relationship. Because he adopted you. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he tells you in prayer, call me Father. Christ models this in John 17 when he opens his intimate prayer, Father. So you have that intimate relationship with him and can know him. And so these truths about the way we parent our children are also the foundational truths of how God the Father parents us. And actually we want to learn those so we can parent our children that way. For those God ordains to be parents, his aim is to use your parenting experiences to help you see his nature as your father. And how you act before him as his child. I've, I've told my sons, I learned more about my relationship with my heavenly father through my relationship with them. Case in point. The boys were young and wanting to play a game that was on a top shelf. I was at the house working on some things. They said, would you get it down for us, dad? I said, sure, I'll, I'll take care of it. They went off, came back. I was still in my spot. Dad, you said you're going to get this down. I said, I, I am. I'm going to get to it. They go off, play a bit longer, come back, and now they're talking with me, angry and almost in tears because I haven't budged. Dad, you said you're going to get this down. At that moment, it, it, as if the father said, I just want you to know, Mark, that many times that's how you are with me. When I haven't done what you asked in the time frame that you want, even though I know I'm going to act and take care of it my way. You can tell my boys were in early grade school and that has still stayed with me today now that they're even parents. The Father will purpose those experiences so that you will acknowledge how He is in fathering you so that you may do the same with the children he blesses us with. Having said all that then we need to look at discipline and instruction. So let's go back to Proverbs. Find Proverbs chapter 2. When you look at the Proverbs and it talks about parenting, it's, it's talking about disciplining. 
You could also use a synonym for it as discipling because the discipline should be a form of discipling when you see the whole picture of it together. But when you look at Proverbs, you're going to find the aim of discipline, the need for discipline, and even some general instructions regarding discipline. And again, it will be how the Father does us and how we should be with our children. So it begins with Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, where you see the aim of discipline. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as treasured hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And right there the Father gives us an aim for parenting in three words. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Now you see these in their beauty when you understand the root words in the Hebrew and what they convey. But when you do that, they just seem separate. But after you look at them, you can also see how those concepts are so beautifully connected. So let's look at them. First, the Hebrew word for wisdom at the root means to be wise in mind, in word, what you say, and in your actions. The root word for understanding means to separate mentally. It describes specifically discernment. And the root word for knowledge means to acknowledge or now be actually personally acquainted with. So having done the definitions, I want you to see how they beautifully link as the father parents you and me and how we desire to parent our children. With wisdom, it's being aware of what God would say, think, or do. And understanding is applying what God would say, think, or do, His wisdom, to the circumstance at hand. And when you and I apply His wisdom... To the circumstance at hand and live it out. Then we gain that intimate knowledge of God. Through that experience. I love that so much. John 17 talks about knowing God intimately. And his aim for us as our heavenly father. And though the process of parenting. It's both God's aim for us as parents. And for the children we parent. In the process to know him. The best picture for this that I ever saw was a, a true story that was told by a pastor. Uh, he was sharing with his congregation a night where uh, D.L. Moody, a famed preacher at that era, had come to their church to preach. And, and, and Moody had stepped out from his carriage and the church was packed on the outside, people trying to get in. But he saw this little boy crying at the side, said, son, what's wrong? He said, I wanted to go hear Mr. Moody, but the man said I had to go home. So Mr. Moody said, I can get you in, but you have to do everything I say. So here, grab my coattails, and you hang on until I tell you to let go. Okay. So off they went through the crowd, up to the stage, where there Mr. Moody pointed the boy to the chair where he was to have sat, and said, now, you can let go of my coattails. And the preacher who was telling that to his congregation said, what you don't know is I was that little boy. And it is a beautiful picture of parenting. 
For you and me as followers of Christ, we are to obey our Heavenly Father. We are actually trying to grab hold of His wisdom, His understanding, and the knowledge of Him. We are holding tightly to that, and we feel dependent on that as we are taking our children by the hand and trying to parent them the way God the Father is parenting us. With the joy and hope that one day they will be adopted by God, take hold of His coattails for themselves, and we continue to nurture and teach and encourage as they might know and obey Christ in following Him. The aim of parenting, that they may know him just as we're aspiring to know him too. Which then points to the need for discipline because that doesn't come naturally for any of us. Look at Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs 29. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 17. I, I do like how expressive and uh, specific the Proverbs are. It says in verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. I have once heard a mom tell her child, the reason I discipline you is because I want people to actually want to be around you. <laughs> I heard that. And literally, I, what comes to mind is she is trying her best to avoid, verse 15, the shame. And eagerly wanting to experience, verse 17, the rest and delight in her child. The challenge is when you and I begin seeing our children and that need for discipline, we see that it's in all of us. You find this in Proverbs 22 verse 15 where it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Without disciplining us as parents and us disciplining our children, it's in our nature to be grouped among the wicked with their many transgressions mentioned in verse 16. We are all born with a sinful nature and we all want our way. It's a part of our humanness. Now it actually even begins back further than that with Satan and his desire to want his own way. And therefore there is a fall. When Adam and Eve are created, walking with God, it's Satan who tempts them because within them to want their own way and now they stand it becomes part of everyone after them. We all want our own way. What we don't want is to submit to anyone or anything. And yet that is so paramount throughout Scripture. You'll find in Scripture over 200 times the word obey. Even in our calling out as followers of Christ, we are told in the Great Commission that we are to also teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. One of the tragedies we do for our children is to not help them see the benefit and beauty of submitting to authority. And it's often helpful if we often communicate to them how 
we as parents are still submitting to the authority of God ourselves. And it's because of our submission to his authority, we want to guide and guard you and lead you in doing the same. It is a need in discipline. One of the challenges is because there is a constant need, we can often discipline for the wrong motives, the wrong emotions, the wrong motivation. When you look at how discipline is instructed in Scripture, it is to be done the way the Father does us. And it is done with love. And you find this now in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Find Proverbs 3. Because this is going to be another one of those my son moments. In Proverbs 3, verse 11, it opens, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. The beauty of this is how the Lord uses this centuries later to encourage followers who are Jewish believers. It's in the book of Hebrews. At that point, the Jewish believers are so weary with being persecuted and ostracized and outcast that they are now beginning to risk saying, I want to step back from following Christ. And the Lord says, let me just speak into that just for a moment about my love for you. And he uses the same thing in Proverbs to say, you know, I am disciplining you in this that you might know my love for you in this. Because I want you to experience and know my good for you in this. When you look at that passage, the good that he's talking about, I want you to know my holiness. I want you to know my righteousness. Even in the discipline that I am giving to you. Now, any holiness of God and righteousness we experience is purely because of Christ. Who first took on the full punishment of God on our behalf. So that God could uphold his holiness and his righteousness. So that when Christ is placed upon us through salvation and submission to God. God looks at us with delight as a parent looking to the delight of their children under discipline. There is a restedness by God as he looks at us. And calls us beloved just as he said of Christ. Because that's who he sees on us. He sees Christ. But the challenge is many times when the... Discipline takes place in the heat of the moment. We may be disciplining for wrong reasons. Let me just give you some secondary reasons that I have personally done and that I have personally witnessed or heard about that aren't as beneficial as the primary reason that has given us to discipline out of love. The, sec- the first reason, secondary, is uh, I'm trying to discipline to, to not be embarrassed by them. The, the shame that the woman talks about in Proverbs 29. The, the second secondary reason, because I, I want to continue to be in control of them. There is a sinfulness in our nature that we as parents want to be in control of, of every aspect of our child's life. And so the reason I'm disciplining you is because I feel I'm about to lose control of you. A third secondary reason is I'm trying to uphold the family name. This came from my own history. My dad 
uh, grew up in a dysfunctional and abusive alcoholic home. And so the, the name that, that he had and that we lived under was something he basically worked to change. And so we were trying our best to uphold a new name that was good. And though there's some twisted sense of honor in that, it's not a primary reason to discipline. And then there's a fourth one, to be seen by others as a good Christian family. Again, growing up, my dad being a pastor, it was often in small towns, and my goodness, does the grapevine vibrate in small towns. So everybody's looking how your family is doing, and there's a great fear. I need a discipline so my family is seen as a good family in front of everybody else. One more secondary reason that I have seen, it's on a bumper sticker and it becomes more dear to me as I get older, is to discipline because one day your children will choose your nursing home. <laughs> I say all that to say, the primary reason is neither of these, any of these, is to discipline out of the love of God that he has lavished on you and that you're lavishing on your children. And because of that love, you will confront quickly even when you get weary with doing so. Something I've learned in, in the four decades in pastoring, there can be times uh, where you can grow weary with loving. Particularly when you're loving out of your love and not the love of Christ. My love is shallow, and so when I dip from that pool, it will quickly go dry. But when you look at the love of Christ and how he has lavished his love for us, then we ask, would you give me your love for them? in this moment. And that came to mind in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 where again Christ was faithful and loving us and where he says this, God displays his love toward us and that while we were sinners Christ died. Not while we were giving love back to him. Not because we were pleasing him in that moment. He agaped us with the love of God and persisted in loving us at our most ugly moment. And that is my example with which I have to pray. I need your love in this hour because right now I'm tired of having to pray and talk, pray and discipline, pray and teach. I'm so weary with the fear. None of this is getting in. And then to wonder if that's the way the Father feels about me. So one of the things that disciplining with love will do is take it just from the punishment of the moment to making it a teachable moment. Love teaches. So you find this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 23-23. Still in Proverbs, still getting God's wisdom from this. We find this in another my son statement, beginning in verse 20. Look what it says. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck when you walk they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching and a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. In, in reading this text about the teachings of mom are, are, are over you. I remembered being 16. I finally had my car and my freedom, and I was beginning to date. 
And I went on a date with my girlfriend and came back late after curfew. And dad was waiting. He said, son, we have a curfew. Said, I said, yeah, dad, I know, I'm sorry. I, I really forgot. Okay. Went to bed. Next week I had another date with her and was late again after curfew. Dad was waiting. And he said, follow me. So we went into the family room. I sat on the couch and dad remained standing. My dad had been a pastor for decades and I felt like that was the loudest, longest sermon to one person he ever preached. <laughs> and, and literally in your mind, when you're beginning to hear that against you, you start getting your defenses up. And you start building an argument. Okay, I can, I can challenge that. But by God's grace in that moment, I began thinking... In all my 16 years, when I listened to what mom and dad said, I've been safe. And he's loving me in this moment. So when dad finished, I said, yes, sir. But the father did that. There will be times where the father uh, confronts your stubbornness. And you want to build your case as to why you're justified in feeling the way you do? Remember all the times where you have obeyed what he has said in your word and experienced the joy and safety of it. It's an hour to say yes, sir. And it's also an hour to do the same with your children. Teach them. Teach them. Teach them. That's where I get the word discipline. The word discipline that's used in the text literally means to rebuke. So you are confronting. But it also means to reason as well as to correct. So you are beginning to teach in the moment as you do this. And you and I need that. Teach them. Just as the Father teaches you in the moments. But in order to teach them, you need another aspect of discipline. You need time to do it well. So let's talk about discipline in time. Again, Proverbs itself is 31 chapters. Within those 31 chapters, there are 22 my son moments. Now, God inspired Solomon to write the majority of these Proverbs. And, and Solomon, I'm wondering if he's thinking about his sons as he is writing these instructions. But he could very well, at some point, be thinking about his dad and how he instructed him. But his dad could have also easily taught him from his mistakes. And when it comes to discipline and time, we learn a powerful lesson from David, Solomon's dad, mistake. You find it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let me just give you the overview. In that moment, David's mistake was he was where he shouldn't have been. It says this was the season of battles where kings go out to fight. His responsibility was to be in the field, but he was at home. So he was where he shouldn't have been, and he was doing what he shouldn't have done. He saw Bathsheba bathing, and instead of turning away, he stayed to watch. So he was where he shouldn't have been, did what he shouldn't have done, which led him to doing what he shouldn't have done. What he thought he never would do. Plot the murder of Bathsheba's husband. Now, because of this, in chapter 11, you're going to see the cascading effects because God is going to confront David with his sin. 
by a prophet. And also it's going to lead David through the consequences of his sin. But through all this sense of trying to hide his sin, being revealed, and now trying to deal with the consequences, David is an absent dad. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. You move on now from chapter 11 and you hear what happens with an absence of time in the family in verses 13 through 18. It says, David's son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. Tamar tells her brother Absalom. And Absalom waits for dad to do something and he doesn't. And when David doesn't act, Absalom plots and murders his half-brother Amnon and then runs away from home. And he's waiting for three years for dad to do something. And for three years, dad does nothing. Until Absalom takes some action on his own hand to get his dad's attention and to say, I just want to come home. Why the rape, murder, and run away in his family? There have been many contributing factors, but one is David mismanaged his time. Though present, he was an absent parent to what was happening in his family. You've got to be present so that you can see, confront, confront, and teach. Not just your body there, but your mind, your heart, your being, your very life with Christ. This became very personal two Fridays ago. I had the privilege of officiating a friend's funeral. Though he was nearly 20 years my senior, I can still see his open mouth laugh and the way that he embraced me as a brother. Well, what was surprising to me, I knew he, he was a, a professor at VCU. I just didn't know all the accolades. His son and daughter began just listing. And as they list the fact that he had a PhD in molecular biology and that he was a writer, to journals. He was an editor for a prestigious journal. He was chairman of different boards with the university as well as with our church. It was his son who heard his sister repeat all of these things and he openly said, when did dad have the time to do that? Because all I remember him taking long walks with me, being engaged in events and conversations or reading scripture and stopping me. Let me tell you about this had no idea how he had the time to do that because of the time he had to be engaged with me. What a gift. And that's the beauty of the Father parenting each of us. All-knowing, ever-present. He's always there. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Call to me and I will answer you. And show you the great and mighty things you do not know. Let's talk. Praise Him. Now to do that, the Father does that with us consistently. And finally in parenting, to do this well as parents, we have to parent and discipline consistently. You find this in the last part of chapter 6 that we just read. It's verse 23. Look, look what it said again. It said, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs, plural, of discipline are the way of life. 
So there are multiple reproofs that the Father does with every one of us in our life as a good loving Father, which means for us to be godly loving parents, there will be multiple reproofs that do, we do with our children. The beauty of the way the Father does it with us is it's always consistent with His nature. I love this. We find this assurance in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love, His commands, His teachings, His consequences are consistent. His yes is yes. His no is no. And we know that to be true out of the consistency of His life with us. For me, I saw that in my parents growing up and it was a gift. Again, being in small towns and being a preacher's son, you know the stories about PKs. They didn't carry the best reputation. But what I loved about mom and dad is what we found, my brother and I, with them is it didn't matter whether they were at church, at home, in the community, wherever they were. They were just mom and dad. Being about Christ is simply who they were. It wasn't something that they did at church, their work. It was just who they were. It was consistent. And my brother and I found security in their consistency. For parents disciplining a child, do you understand the security a child finds when there is a oneness and a consistency in that oneness with mom and dad. So let me just talk about the priorities of oneness and that consistency that's there. Because sometimes uh, when we talk about parents need to be on the same page in parenting a child, we think that's the priority. It's not the prime priority. It's one of them, but it's not the first. When there is to be consistency in the discipline at home, it begins actually with the consistency of each parent in their oneness with Christ. It begins with you as a man, you as a woman, longing for intimacy in that oneness with Christ that's been graced to you in salvation. When you as a husband and wife are both seeking that oneness in Christ and it becomes part of your shared identity as husband and wife. And now out of that shared identity as husband and wife, your children will benefit from your oneness. So the second priority is the shared oneness with each other as husband and wife. The third priority of oneness is your oneness in the why and how you discipline. As a husband and wife who are one in Christ. I can still remember what I called the late night staff meetings with Lori. We are just frantic. And honestly, our conversation about our sons and some of those said, we're blowing it. And so we just started talking it through, praying it through. And we even talked through to stay consistent. What needs to be addressed? Who needs to address this? Who will have the loudest voice in this? And then pray it through. Candidly, the beauty of this again, it just talks about the oneness that we experience in Christ. And his consistency in what he does and how he says it. And our aim to work that consistently as a husband and wife. For the glory of God and the good of our children. Because your children know how to divide and conquer. I did. 
Honestly, growing up, I could tell you uh, that my mom would, would let me whine a lot longer than my dad. But I also knew that if I, I came to dad and said, I'm going to go do something, he said, no, you can't. I tried to use the ploy. Well, mom said I could. Because even as a fallen child with folly in my heart, my aim was to divide and conquer. And the blessing of mom and dad was they were always united in their love for their father, their love for me, and their discipline to me. It was consistent, just as the father was consistent with me. So is there any last motivation I can give as parents that is encouraging? Yeah, there is. It's going back to the very first verse we started with. So go back to Proverbs 22, verse 6. I just want to leave you with a beautiful picture. It says this, remember? Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. The Hebrew word for trained up can be translated and is translated elsewhere in Scripture as the word dedicate. Dedicate your child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. Dedicate. This is the very same word you'll find in Exodus chapter 29 verses 22 through 26 where Aaron is placing the offerings in his hands as he is offering, dedicating them to the Lord in worship. And you'll find also in Leviticus chapter 22 verses 19 through 25 that this word dedicate is done so in the offering itself and in the offering in the hands. The whole aim of this is to please God. I can't find a better picture and motivation for our parenting is to realize that the children the Father has placed in our hands are such gifts to us as well as a stewardship to us. That our aim in their life and in our desire to parent, disciple, discipline them is so that as they prayerfully walk with God, their life is pleasing unto Him. I, I, I wish I'd had all of these thoughts nice and neat like I do today. When I was parenting my sons because in a teachable moment when I was disciplining I, I wish I'd been able to say this to them son one of my responsibilities as your dad is to teach you to submit to authority it's something God is still teaching me as your dad just as your mom and I have set up and told you about the boundaries we expect you to obey, God does the same with us. When we disobey God and step outside those boundaries, there are consequences. God punishes us and he also forgives us. He's done that consistently with me all my life. Your mom and I are, are trying to be consistent in our punishment and forgiveness too because we want you to have the following. We want you to have a picture of God's nature. We pray He might use that picture one day to open your eyes to His nature as He adopts you as His own. We ultimately want you to have a lifelong intimate knowledge of God and the joy 
that comes with a life fully obedient, fully submitted to him. Uh, confession. Even in writing this, I know there were times I was so upset with their misbehavior. This wasn't on my mind in the moment. But honestly, there were times it was. And though some of this was likely verbalized over the years, it was always in the back of my mind as I parented. Uh, it was there because actually it's the way the Father has been parenting me. And it's the way that he explained his parenting to us in Proverbs. What a good father. He's good about that. Let's pray together. What a gift, almighty God, to call you father. And it is solely by your activity in Christ. It's because in Christ you took on the punishment we deserved. We get to experience the forgiveness we need. It's because of Christ. Through adoption by you we have your name. It's because of Christ. We get to know you intimately in the experiences you purpose in our life. It's because of Christ we get to know you as Father and be fathered by you. To have you lovingly confront us in the moment. Discipline us in it. Teach us through it. Forgive us and embrace us with your grace. And to have you do that consistently in our lives. Father, for the parents here, who currently have children for which they are stewards. You've blessed them and they are stewards. Continue, Father, to give them your wisdom, your discernment, and an intimate knowledge of you as they then do the same for their children. Grace them with your love when theirs wants to quit. And Father, I pray that you would also grace them with the right words at the right time to teach what is true and to give the why behind the discipline. Father, I thank you as your children that you are not asking us to do anything with the children you bless us with, that you have not and are not and will not continue to do with us. Thank you for that. And as we now take communion, Father, I pray we will be in awe of your love for us and what, what Christ did for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. You've been listening to a message by Mark Beckton given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.